Supernatural in Central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 128th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are covering two locations in the state of Connecticut. The first is Fairfield Hills State Hospital, which was suggested to us by listeners Paige Sherman and Michael Rogers. And the second is Charles Island. I found this one on my own because, let's face it, when it comes to asylums, we've covered a lot of them here. And unfortunately, a lot of them have the same basic premise. A lot of people who did not belong in them were locked up in them, and they were horribly mistreated, and experimental treatments were used on them. And because of this kind of thing and mysterious deaths, we have hauntings there. So I wanted to add a little something else to the show. And I found Charles Island. And it's a place that supposedly has three curses in connection to it. Before we get into that, we'd like you to check out our website, historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did get an email from Amanda. She said that she's a huge fan, and as a historian and Salem resident, she said that we are the right blend. Also, huge congratulations on our legalized recognition of our union. She grew up in Annapolis, and she said that we should check it out. She gave us several suggestions for the Annapolis area. And then she also said, P.S., she has a little pet peeve, Denise, and this is something that I've struggled with and gone back and forth on, is the difference between hanged and hung. It should be people are hanged, not hung. So we've got it. From here on out, we will be saying that people were hanged. (laughs) There you go, Amanda. And then Rachel sent us a comment on Eloise Asylum. She said, Hi, I've explored Eloise Butler and others many times growing up in Detroit. Loved this episode. Did want to let you ladies know that the Walter P. Ruther Hospital, I believe, is still open and is not located in the same area as the building still standing like K. Beard. I don't think it is affiliated other than it was built on old Eloise land. There was also a fire a month or so back that took more of what's left of Eloise. Apparently it was teenage arson. Hate to hear that kind of stuff. This is why they don't like them trespassing on property like that. Want to give a shout out to Kayla on Twitter. Josh Kitchen posted a bunch of pictures of the Athens Asylum in the Spooktacular crew. So it was cool to get to see that building and and get that kind of personal touch there. And Leslie shared some pictures of the location of the Ashtabula train disaster. And she made a video of the Charles Collins Mausoleum. And this place is really peculiar because the outside of it looks like it's been charred. And apparently he was the guy responsible for that train disaster. So that's why they think that his mausoleum may have been charred somehow. Of course, it could be something natural going on there. But it was a pretty creepy looking mausoleum that was, you know, had all this black all over it. Also, Shelby wanted to share with us that her ex-husband has written the book Demons in the Flesh. His name is Craig Fry, and that's F-R-Y-E. 
Shelby also had another experience at her mom's pub. Shelby wrote, I had another experience at my mom's restaurant pub the other day. Little backstory on it. It was built as two separate houses in the 1800s. At some point, one of them was the local tavern. Another building was later built between them, connecting them together. My mom bought it four years ago when it had fallen into disrepair and renovated it into a restaurant pub, also known as a haunt in Old English, hence the name Old Village Haunt. She lifted it up and pushed it back off the road about 10 feet, added a poured basement and a brand new kitchen to the back end. She wanted to keep everything as original as possible, which was a complete pain, and many times we urged her to just bulldoze it and build something new. But she stuck to her guns and wanted that old, friendly atmosphere and feel of home. She kept all the old original posts and beams. The bar is made out of all the original floorboards and old hand-poured square nails decorated inside the resin. While renovating, I had numerous encounters, just the basics, things like my radio or cell dying, followed by the sound of someone stomping up the stairs or door slamming, cold spots, glances of shadows were there, shouldn't have been, stuff like that. Once she was up and running as a restaurant, the kitchen and front-end staff started having experiences. Things like carrying the front door open and closing before we were open for business and them going out to find it locked. One of the weirdest things is the entire staff on numerous occasions has heard a huge crash in the dish room to the point where they all jumped and ran into the room, expecting to find broken dishes all over the floor, only to find it spotless and nothing out of place. My mother eventually had a couple of mediums come in and each told her pretty much the same thing. The first owner, a female named Sarah, is there and doesn't like what we've done with the place. She feels that it is hers and we shouldn't be touching it. She also informed them that she especially didn't like me, my music, my clothing, or my dogs, which we know for Shelby, that's not a good thing. So anyways, to my newest experience, I was standing behind the bars. I bartend there on Friday and Saturday nights. It was early afternoon, around like 15.30. So there was no customers yet. My mother, unbeknownst to me, was upstairs working on bills and the waitress had gone out for lunch. The chef was out in the kitchen doing his thing, so I was just leaned back against the bar fridge playing around on my phone. My nose was buried in it, and I clearly had the whole cell phone zombie thing going on. I heard in a clear, feminine voice, Shell, from somewhere out near the dish room just outside the dining room. Absent-mindedly, I responded, Yeah, Mom. No response. I waited a beat, still wrapped up in my phone. Mom? Still no answer. I looked up from my phone and looked around. Couldn't find her. Walked out to the dish room, nothing. Went into the kitchen, asked the chef if he'd seen my mom. Nope. Well, huh. I walked through the restaurant checking for her and any other female that could have called out for me. No one. The place was empty. Eventually, my mother came downstairs and I asked if she had been looking for me. She said she hadn't and I told her what happened. I still don't know who called my name, but I heard it clear as a bell. And then Shelby went on to let us know that on top of that, this wasn't just a nickname. It was her real name or at least the back half of it because her real name is Michelle. So for to call her Shell, pretty darn freaky and creepy. Thanks for sharing that with us, Shelby. Uh, Jen let us know that she really enjoyed the Marilyn Monroe show, particularly my uh, impression of Marilyn. And Courtney agreed with me on one of the podcasts I'd been moaning and groaning about census records. And she says that she's run into the same problem when she's doing genealogies and such. So thank you to both of you ladies for that as well. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Danica. Hey, Danica. Susan. Hi, Susan. Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Leslie. Hey, Leslie. Kathy WT. Hey, Kathy WT. Kyra. Hi, Kyra. Katie. Hey, Katie. Laura. Hi, Laura. Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Jana. Hi, Jana. Aaron with an E. Hey, Aaron with an E. And Kathy F. And Kathy F. Welcome. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. 
For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime Bonus Cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. The Moment in Oddity is by Bob Sherfield. Ursula Sothiel was born sometime around the year 1488 in the northern English county of Yorkshire. More commonly known as Mother Shipton, she was reportedly a soothsayer, prophetess, and possibly a prostitute. Legend has it that she was able to make predictions of the future and tell people's fortunes. One narrative states she was born an ugly child and finding a nurse for her was difficult until a woman living on the outskirts of Narsborough agreed to take her in. Her childhood is full of tales of supernatural events with reports of furniture moving of its own accord, plates being thrown across the room by invisible hands, and on one occasion both her and her crib disappeared. When the villagers looked for her, the story goes that they were attacked by imps in the form of monkeys. And when she was eventually discovered, she was suspended in midair, halfway up the chimney of the house. Adulthood did not improve her looks. One description of her stating, Her nose was a sight to be seen in itself, being of improportional length, with many crooks and turnings. Her stature was larger than common, her body crooked and her face frightful. She had great goggling eyes, and her wreck of a nose also gave off a faint luminosity. Despite this, she married a carpenter from Shipton by the name of Toby, and her home soon became a calling place for people from a wide area in search of her wisdom, healing remedies, and powers of prophecy. As with the prophecies of Nostradamus, the vague language and obscure riddles used in her rhymes could be interpreted to predict a wide range of events, and it's said that she predicted the English Civil War, the defeat of the Spanish Armada, and the dissolution of the monasteries. It wasn't until 1641, 80 years after her death, that the first book of her predictions was published. Many of the predictions contained in the book related to the area that she lived in. Only two verses appear to be prophetic, though. Despite popular legend, neither related to the end of the world. And it is probable that many of the predictions they included were describing events that had already passed. During the Victorian period, Mother Shipton was again popular. An 1862 edition of her prophecies made famous the following verse, The world to an end shall come in 1881. Through the years and reprints, the Armageddon date has changed. Unfortunately, this verse isn't the work of Mother Shipton, but was created by the author of the 1862 edition, Charles Henley. While the truth about Mother Shipton is hard to discover, perhaps she was simply a local wise woman who was good at her job. Her legacy has led to her name being linked to many tragic events that occurred in the English-speaking world throughout the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. She even has a moth named after her because the pattern of its wings is thought to resemble the face of a hag. The legend surrounding Mother Shipton certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark?
This Day in History. This Day in History is brought to us by Stephen Pappas. On this day, June 3rd in 1965, the first American walked in space. Major Edward H. White II, attached to the Gemini 4 by a 25-foot tether, exited the craft and began his spacewalk. This made him the second person to walk outside of the Earth's atmosphere. The craft was positioned 120 miles above Earth, and White controlled his movements with a handheld oxygen propulsion device. The Gemini program was an extension of Project Mercury, which had been the first spacecraft to put an American in space. While the Gemini program was not well known compared to many others in the U.S. side of the space race, it was responsible for giving the U.S. valuable education on the effects space may have on the astronauts, as well as pioneering long-term space expeditions with multiple crews. The program ended in 1966, but helped NASA to perform the docking procedures that would greatly impact the later Apollo space program. You're listening to History Goes Bump. Our research assistant for this episode was April Rogers Crick. Fairfield Hill State Hospital was a state-run mental health facility in Connecticut that was open to alleviate the overcrowding in other asylums. The facility was pleasing to the eyes from the outside, but within its walls, unspeakable acts were taking place. This was not a place of rehabilitation, but more a place of experimentation. Just as we found to be the case at other asylums during this time period, barbaric practices were followed and many mysterious deaths were the result. This has led to the typical result, hauntings. We will also share the curse of Charles Island, which is not far from Newtown, and it involves pirates. But there is only one curse on this island, or could there be more? Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of these two Connecticut locations. Fairfield Hills State Hospital is in the city of Newtown in the state of Connecticut. Unfortunately, nearly all Americans, and probably many of you internationally, know this small town because of the horrific Sandy Hook school shooting that happened back in 2012. To refresh your memories, an armed assailant named Adam Lanza shot and killed 20 children and six staff members before shooting himself, and earlier in the day he had also shot and killed his mother. But long before this tragic event occurred, the Powhatuck tribe lived in this region. Epidemics and warfare nearly wiped out the tribe, and they eventually merged into the tribal group we know today as the Skagatok Tribal Nation. They were fishermen and farmers. The English were the European colonists that would settle here in 1705. They bought the plot from the Powhatuck and named it Quaniapeg. They incorporated in 1711. For obvious reasons, this was a Tory stronghold during the Revolutionary War. The city would grow and dwindle through the years. And a fun fact about the city of Newtown is the board game Scrabble was created here by James Brunat. In 1931, to help alleviate the overcrowding at other state mental hospitals, the Fairfell Hill State Hospital for the Criminally Insane opened in Newtown, Connecticut. The hospital was built on 100 acres with 670 bucolic acres surrounding the buildings. Walter P. Crabtree Jr. designed the structure, which was built in the colonial style out of brick. The facility consisted of 16 buildings connected above ground by a circular network of roads. Below ground, an intricate network of concrete tunnels connected each building. This allowed for ease of movement by staff and patients. 
Fairfield Hills had its own psychiatric residency program. It also had its own dedicated cafeteria building, movie theater, tennis court, soccer field, baseball diamond, gymnasium, laundry, and staff housing facilities. They had their own self-contained power plant and water treatment facilities. When Fairfield opened, patients were quickly transferred from the other state hospitals like Connecticut Valley Hospital. In the early days, no more than 500 patients were housed at the property. Staffing was an issue even then with only three doctors on staff for 500 patients. Three doctors. In the 1940s and 1950s, the hospital was expanded and more buildings were added to accommodate the growing patient population. By the 1960s, Fairfield Hills was becoming overcrowded. With more than 4,000 patients and only 20 doctors, 50 nurses, and 100 other employees carrying out various duties. Patients at the hospital were generally either temporary or involuntary residents. Several were long-term residents, however. Sadly, a large number were mentally handicapped wards of the state who could not live independently and had no one to take care of them. Patients who did not need to be confined all the time were allowed to walk around campus and its facilities freely. Those who were deemed able could take on basic jobs around the campus, and in return, they received a small stipend. Patients were treated with many different and often controversial therapies, as was the case at the time. Electric shock therapy was used. We've discussed this several times in other asylum episodes. But another controversial treatment we have not discussed before was the use of insulin shock therapy. Patients were repeatedly injected with large doses of insulin in order to produce daily comas over several weeks. How unsafe is that? Mainly, it was used to treat schizophrenia. Another highly controversial treatment was metrazole shock therapy, in which a person was injected with metrazole to cause convulsions. So now they're causing people to have comas and convulsions on purpose, and they think it's helping them. Hydrotherapy was another treatment used by doctors to stimulate blood circulation and treat the symptoms of certain diseases. It is indeed a part of medicine and alternative medicine, particularly when it comes to naturopathy, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, and generally speaking, they use water for pain relief and treatment. But back at this time, it was not necessarily a very good thing. And a lot of times patients would be left too long in the water or imagine if you put them in water that's too hot or too cold. Not a good thing. Fairfield Hills doctors sometimes used psychosurgery, also known as lobotomy, to treat patients they deemed severely mentally ill or insane. Psychosurgery is performed by both psychiatrists and neurosurgeons. During the operation, the brain is permanently damaged or destroyed. Frontal lobotomies were also performed on patients at Fairfield Hills, which meant the connections to and from the prefrontal cortex were scraped away or disconnected from the anterior part of the frontal lobes of the brain. More than 100 psychosurgeries were performed on patients in the first year of its use. This and other reprehensible treatments were not allowed by the state, at least not officially. Fairfield Hills was more of an experimental institution than a rehabilitation center. Large numbers of patients were essentially tortured for the good of the medical practice. Eventually, a decreasing emphasis on institutionalization and greater emphasis on community-based models of care came into favor and long-term in-house patients started to decrease. Fairfield Hills fell victim to cuts in public funding, soaring costs of maintaining inpatient mental health facilities, and maintaining thousands of employee benefits. Patients were transitioned to outpatient psychiatric care or to community care, and some that could not live on their own were placed in adult foster care or temporary halfway houses, where they received outpatient psychiatric services. 
1995, Fairfield Hill State Hospital was closed down by the state. After closing, it was used for the filming of the movie Sleepers, as well as an episode of MTV's Fear. In 2009, the town of Newtown, Connecticut, had the underground tunnels sealed off. Attempts to visit Fairfield Hills today are incredibly difficult, if not altogether impossible, to sneak past the patrols. Numerous police cars patrol the area on a nightly basis. They vigorously guard the facility on all sides and are ready and willing to arrest anyone attempting to sneak onto the property. The goal of the current management team is to turn the site into a place for recreational, cultural, and government activity. Fairfield Hills joins the ranks of the countless other asylums reputed to be haunted by those no longer living. Former employees and patients have told stories of strange paranormal activity that went on there when the hospital was open. One employee wrote that the nightmares had become a way of life after witnessing the actions of the insane and the mistreatment of them by employees not well-versed in their care. Strange noises have been reported from all over the property. Whispers to moans to outright screams echo through the hallways. All of them, of course, disembodied. Nobody there. Some have reported hearing the rattle of old gurney wheels traveling the hallways and the underground tunnels. Now that's creepy in and of itself, just hearing the wheels of a gurney and then imagining that it's actually not even there. The morgue is said to be filled with inexplicable and unexplained noises. Rumors abound that during the last few years of operation, various electronic machines and appliances were rumored to turn on and off of their own accord. Several sightings have occurred of a young woman dressed in white, our infamous lady in white, being seen inside of a window with an unearthly glow about her. And rumors have circulated that a satanic cult practiced rituals in one of the buildings. The managers of the property turned away ghost hunters when they asked if they could come investigate. Mary wrote a comment on the Road Trippers website that her mother had worked there as a secretary and that she can confirm that disembodied screams could be heard. John wrote, quote, I've been there numerous times. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but that place made me a believer. I lived in Connecticut my whole life and used to go there when I was a teenager. From underground tunnels, from building to building, totally incredible. Trust me, I was a skeptic and stayed there all night. I didn't have permission to go, but I promise you I'll never go there again. Shadows to coughing to doors swinging open. I gotta tell you, you know something wasn't right. I got pics that are insane. I heard talking clear as day and moaning of insane patients. Too much to list, end quote. One building, the Greenwich House, is said to bring on an overwhelming feeling of despair and suffering. This building was destroyed in a massive fire that is said to have been started by a man who took a bottle of lighter fluid to a linen closet and tossed in a match. So it makes you wonder if it was that overwhelming feeling of despair that caused him to say, I'm going to torch the place. Or, you know, maybe he was just nuts. Full-bodied apparitions wearing hospital gowns have been seen in hallways. And, of course, there are the typical hot spots and orbs as well. Now, Denise, we've covered a lot of asylums, and they all kind of have the same basic story. They started at basically the same time, had the same horrific treatments, underground tunnels, most of them closed in the 1990s, and then we hear these reported hauntings, but they're abandoned, so to get stories about hauntings, it's hard, because there's not people who are actually there very often. And this place, the ghost hunters wanted to go in, and they wouldn't let them go in. So I thought, you know, this is getting so repetitive and stuff. I wanted to add a little interesting element to this. 
And so I thought, well, is there somewhere near this in Connecticut that wouldn't be a full show of its own that we could add into this episode? And indeed, I found a place that we're going to share with everybody. About 30 minutes southeast of Newtown is the town of Milford, and there are interesting legends of curses here on Charles Island. The island is named for Charles Deal, who brought the island in 1657 from the native tribe there, and he tried and failed to start a tobacco plantation. It is only 14 acres and sits along the shore of the Connecticut Silver Sands State Park. It is a neat little natural environment that visitors can reach by foot when the tide reveals a sandbar. But visiting this island is not a good idea because there are stories of multiple curses. The first is a curse connected to the pirate Captain William Kidd. Captain Kidd was a Scottish sailor born in 1645. He worked mainly as a privateer, and many historians claim he was nothing more than a privateer. But his legend tells a different story, and that, of course, involves piracy. Privateers were hired to round up, quote-unquote, goods for their country. But pirates, of course, would go and ransack ships. They'd go in in villages and ransack them, burn them down. And, of course, they would do this for their own enrichment. Captain Kidd is said to have buried treasure at Charles Island. And that would seem to mean that he probably crossed over into that thing called piracy, because he certainly wasn't taking it back to his country if he's burying it there. Now, maybe he knew that he was getting close to being captured, but I seriously doubt it. The captain made his last voyage in 1699, and at that time, he stopped in two locations near to each other. One was Gardner's Island, which is off of Long Island, and the other was Charles Island in Connecticut. The story goes that Captain Kidd hid treasure in both of these places. At Charles Island, he hid his loot under Hog Rock, and then he proclaimed a curse to protect that treasure. He was later tried and executed for piracy. The next curse is courtesy of the Pagaset tribe. Charles Island was sacred to them, and they believed the island was home to spirits. When the Europeans arrived and drove them back away from the island and started building on the island, the tribe cursed any structure that was erected on the island. They cursed the settlers as well. The first home was built there in 1835 by John Harris, who died shortly thereafter. By the 1850s, there was a resort here known as Charles Island House, and then later as Asantaway House. Steamboat service was available here. In the 1930s, the island was home to a religious retreat. Six workmen constructing the retreat drowned one day on their return trip home. Later, the monastery was destroyed in a storm. Today, the island is inhabited only by wildlife. So, did the curse work? The third curse involves some Connecticut sailors who came upon a treasure in the 18th century belonging to the Mexican emperor Guatmozin, who had succeeded Montezuma. The treasure was in a cave. Spanish conquistadors had tortured Guatmozin to get him to tell them where the Aztec treasure was, and he never told. They finally executed him, but legend maintains that these sailors found that treasure in a cave where the emperor had probably hidden it. They were returning to Connecticut with that treasure when several disasters killed four of the five sailors. The last sailor knew that they must have a curse following them for taking the treasure, so he buried it on Charles Island, and now, reputedly, that curse is there with the treasure. Could this be why so many accidents, including drownings, have happened near the island? A newspaper article in 2011 told the story of a man swept out to deeper water when he attempted to cross the sandbar to the island. Countless other stories are told of teenagers and others making the trek, losing their footing on slippery rocks, and washing away into strong rip currents. Could this just be Mother Nature having fun with humans? 
The island seems to be haunted as well, and this is no surprise because of the deaths connected to the island. People claim to see full-bodied glowing apparitions on the beaches or among the trees. Disembodied voices are heard by visitors. Eerie lights move about, even in the daytime. No treasure seeker has been able to find any treasure. Has it been protected by these spirits or by the curses? One group of treasure seekers claim that a burning specter of fire chased them from the island after they supposedly found something. We don't know what they found, but there was something there. Are the distant echoes of gurney wheels in the abandoned hallways some form of paranormal activity? Have the spirits of those lost to society truly found a place of comfort in death? Is Fairfield Hills State Hospital haunted? Is Charles Island cursed and haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, I don't know. Both of those places sound pretty creepy to me. I have rearranged our schedule a little bit, so we're going to be doing something different than what I had on the schedule for our next episode. So it's going to be a surprise for all of you, as well as for us. So stay tuned for that. Before we go, we want to share some reviews with you from iTunes. Five stars from Nick Weller, worth checking out. I'm not exactly a believer of ghosts and stuff, but sure like a good ghost story. Bonus with this podcast, you get a little history lesson with it. It's Sofa King awesome. Well, thank you, Nick Weller. That's awesome that we're like a Sofa King. Five stars from Allie, 922. Love this podcast. I broke my leg this winter and was homebound for several months. This podcast kept me company while my husband worked long hours. It was like having two friends come over and talk about ghost stories and history. Love everything about this podcast. Well, thanks, Allie, for having us hang out with you while you were mending your broken limb there. I'm sure we had some wonderful cups of coffee or hot chocolate or something while we were discussing our ghost stories. It has to be official, five stars. Learn something spooky today. I love learning about the paranormal. History Goes Bump has the perfect blend of scary stories and actual history. I love the format, which includes a moment in oddity and a shout out to their fans. The hosts are welcoming and very personable. This podcast is a must for fans of the paranormal. Well, thanks. It has to be official. And finally, from Shin John, five stars. Keep up the great work. I found this podcast when it was featured in October 2015 on one of the Apple featured scary podcast lists. And thank you to iTunes for doing that. And we are very honored. It was an awesome list of podcasts. I am grateful for the show and it keeps me company during my often traffic-filled commutes to and from work. These ladies have an amazingly involved, well-researched and very entertaining podcast. Thank you very much for the past eight months of quality entertainment. Well, thanks, Shin John, for taking us with you on your commutes. And thanks to all of our research assistants who help us to round out our research. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this show. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes... One society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Ninth Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13. Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time. <laughs>